And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy, we're with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? I'm going to start a new business. It's about time. I know. I think you're due. I know. Uh, yeah, it's been a few years and, you know, the one that we have, Fullscale.io, that's just breaking records and has several hundreds and uh, uh, several hundred employees just isn't enough to keep me busy. So, yeah, I think I'm going to start something new. I'm not really sure what yet. So I thought I would put together a checklist, right? So when I'm ready, I'm going to know. I'm going to know. I got to do this. I got to do that. Maybe don't do this. Do a little bit more here, a little less there. And, you know, the checklist is probably going to help me out. What do you think? That sounds like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to be prepared, ready to go. Uh, Prior proper planning prevents poor performance, Matt. So we do know that. And, you know, I'm ready to share the checklist with you. But first, I have a question. Matt, are you thinking about starting a new business or expanding a current one? Because if you are, then it's important to get set up and maintained properly. That's exactly what the folks at Universal Registered Agents do. They do LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, not nonprofits, Matt, no problem. You can learn more by clicking the Universal Registered Agents link in the show notes. And you know what? That's on my checklist. I was going to say, it's got to be high on the checklist. Yeah. Well, getting people to set up a business properly for you? Yes. All right. So... Matt, before we get into the checklist, I'm going to, I need you to sit down for a second because I need to tell you the truth about a couple of things. Are you ready? I'm ready. Give me, give me starting the real truth. Bus- starting a business is difficult. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have days where you're going to regret that you even did it and you're going to want to quit. And regardless of how awesome my checklist is today, you still have a greater chance of failing at your new business than you do at succeeding. Do you accept these risks? Please check this box and sign your name here if you do. But you just said Universal Registered Agents made it easy. They do make it easy to set up the business, but they do <laughs> they don't come they, they don't come and make it successful for you. Oh shit. I thought that was the easy button. I know. I know. I know. I have one of those too. I've been like I've hit it several times a day, but it doesn't do anything other than like make a sound. I think the this batteries is hard, are good, man. Too. And um, I've just interviewed somebody uh, for my, you know, weekly show, Startup Hustle Show, that uh, is a publicly traded company now, and uh, wow. they're still struggling and losing millions of dollars. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I asked him, I'm like, you know, he was talking about how much of a grind it was. It'd been like eight or nine years, and it was a total grind. I'm like, well, do you, you know, feel like you get to a place. You know, you always have challenges in business, but you get to a place where eventually it just becomes a lot of fun, and you scale and grow it. And he's like, no, not really. <laughs> Oh, like, okay. well, <laughs> I, you know, I, well, but I disagree with that. Cause like I'm at, we're at that phase with full scale. Like it was a dog, it was a dog fight. And you know, like four years later, half of it's through a pandemic. And then 
we're coming out of that. And, you know, there's days at your business that you love it and there's days that you hate it. And, you know, but I mean, really in the end, if you're going to start a new business, you just got to know what you're getting yourself into, which is kind of the reason we started the show, right? Absolutely. And it's definitely the first couple of years are the hardest part by, by far. Yeah. Yep. And that's why that, that basic, you know, checklist now, look, before we get into the whole checklist, so this is kind of the first item, but it's not even the first item, but well, maybe it is. This shows you how much I've planned for creating a basic plan. Now you and I are both, we have love hates with plans because you got to have a plan, but if all you do is write your plan, then you're never going to get out and actually work the plan. Because the real truth is, is really in the end, the plan is actually wrong, no matter how well you do at it, because you don't have a crystal ball and you can't tell what's going to happen in the future. Are you saying people don't read business plans? I'm saying people write them. I say investors don't usually read them unless they're finally sold on what you do, how you do it and who you are. Usually a, uh, the, the simpler the plan, the better. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter what your plan is. It's, it's wrong. Yeah, but and taking you know, the time and having the force, the forethought to make a plan is what's important. Yeah, you just don't you don't just just jump in with having no idea about what you're going to want to do and how you're going to do it. Because sometimes you know, you know, Matt, I've had done a lot of different things as an entrepreneur. I've invested in a lot of different businesses, consulted with them, worked with them, done a whole bunch of different stuff, and you know, there's been a lot of things that, I mean, have you had something in the past and you're like, you know what, this is a great idea. And then once you put the pencil to the paper, you're like, eh, maybe it's not. Well, everything sounds like a great idea at first. Right. And and that's why you always yeah. see, you know, your, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your cousin, whoever, they always have all these ideas, but they never do any of them. Right. Like all the ideas sound great. But then when you, you sit down and you start working on it, you're like, man, who's going to buy this? Who am I going to sell this to? Like, how am I going to build it? I don't have any money. Uh, shit. Never mind. Back to watching I'm Netflix. Sure I, I'm pretty sure I was watching a children's soccer practice with you yesterday, and one of the other kids' parents pitched you on an idea. Yeah. And I literally said, I literally said, that's not a very good pitch. It doesn't sound like you have a plan yet. Because <laughs> it was like, hey, I got an idea to do a bunch of stuff. What do you think? Are you in? Well, that's, that's not I mean, a plan. And now he is a business owner to, to his defense, yeah, right? And, totally. and he has, he has a successful business, yeah. but he's always, like he said, he's like, I always got all these ideas, but he's like, I just don't know what to do with any of them. Yep. Yep. So you got to refine it a little bit, you know, you can start like, so whether, it, whether you want to put a title on it or not, like creating a basic executive summary about your business is what, which you're just going to list the opportunities, your goals and the growth opportunities. So like, what are we going to do? And this is often as simple as what's the problem and what solution do we have? And I think that one of the things that we've always acknowledged on Startup Hustle is that if your business isn't solving a problem, you probably don't have a very valuable business. I'm going to start a business selling tutus to little girls' soccer teams. Well, there was a, a kid that wore that, but that's not a real problem, though. So it's not. You're not going to have much of a market now. You're not going to have much of a yeah, market. In fact, they were yeah, cute, though. Yeah, yeah. So, but but you know, with that, I mean. Why, why does solving a problem make something valuable? Well, the, the, the more money people will pay to solve the problem, right? There's got to be an ROI in whatever it is your business is. And it can be simple. Like, I need somebody to mow my grass. I'll pay somebody to do it. 
There's a business there. Come mow it for me, right? It can be a simple yep. business. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yep. Now, with that, you talk about growth opportunities and different stuff. If you mow grass and you're one person, you can only mow so many yards. That's it. So maybe if your you, executive so you're summary, gonna, yeah, yeah, maybe your executive summary should be like, you know what? I'm gonna go find the largest business campus in town and get a big commercial account, and I'm gonna need like 20 people to mow this big damn thing, right? That's a right. different business plan. Yep. Yep. So, you know, with that, you're also going to describe your company and, you know, you want to do a little bit of, of market viability testing, meaning, you know, God, if one more person tells me that they have an idea and they don't have any competition and I go on Google and find that they not only have competition, but a lot of it, I'm going to, honestly, I'm going to beat myself with that business plan because there's competition everywhere. And, you know, while it's great. You'd be like, I'm the only person that does it in 2022. If you're the only person that does it, you also might want to examine whether or not there's even a market for it. Cause means a lot of people very, failed. <laughs> well, there's a very, there's very <laughs> few things that people haven't tried or aren't doing. Like, I mean, you could make a valid case for the fact that, that having an, a quote original idea is, is pretty tough. You know, I mean, we've got, all of human, the, the, the history of all of humanity to come up with, you know, solutions. And, you know, when tech was booming and really changing a lot of stuff, you know, maybe things that would be unique now are things that are still emerging. You look at like metaverse or blockchain or certain things that, you know, people haven't thought of, but if you think you have like a simple service or a product business, eh, someone might've already made it. Well, a lot of times there's things that come in kind of big, like uh, market waves, for example, like take electric cars as an example, right? It's like, mm -hmm. because electric cars were created, well, all these other businesses around to get created, like selling home installation of electric sure. charging equipment or battery technology or all these different things, right? So, you know, my last business, StackFi, was signed kind of that way. It's like there's a wave of the cloud and DevOps and, and different things. It's like we're riding that wave and we're like one of a bunch of people as part of this big wave, right? So um, in, in the US right now, you know, you talk about sports or something, it could be like lacrosse. Lacrosse is the biggest up and coming thing. So maybe selling lacrosse equipment's a big opportunity right now. I don't know. But things come in waves like that. And if you can catch on one of those waves, and probably marijuana would be one of those big waves right now, you can make a lot of money. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is you want to know who you're competing with, what the market yep. is, how hard it is to enter it, how hard it is to stay in it, get some idea of how future competitors are going to react to your entrance to it. Because, you know, sometimes you can enter a market space and if someone else is more established and they just under, they undercut you by a dollar, then you're going to have a hard time making a sale. You know, you have to, where are you providing value? And in certain cases, like there's been so much emphasis on supply chain stuff, like, you know, a lot of people make a great product and then have just no real ability to get it in front of buyer's eyes. And, you know, certain things like Amazon have made some of that a little bit easier and a little more scalable because you'll have the ability to, you know, deliver everywhere and a lot of that. But I mean, you got to think about how are you going to do it and how are you going to handle it if things go well? People never plan for what to do if things go well. Isn't it amazing? Like, the, I mean, the, well, but at the same time, entrepreneurs are wildly optimistic and expect that they're going to have things go well, but then are often unprepared when, when it does. So, you know. Okay, so Matt, 
back to this checklist. I got a checklist inside the checklist. Are you ready? I'm ready. Better, better, faster, or cheaper. You're going to have your business needs to, in my opinion, have do two of those three things better than those that you're going to compete with. If you want to have an advantage. And it can't be just a little bit better, right? Like it can't be like 10% cheaper. Like I'm not going to go through the hassle of changing like who mows my yard because you're 10% cheaper. Like it's just not worth the hassle, right? Like it's got to be a lot better, a lot faster, a lot cheaper. It's got to be significant. If you're going to get when we did our when we did our series about how to start a tech company, I can't I can't remember what episode it was, but we talked specifically about this because we had some actual research that said, like, you had to almost be like twice as cheap to get someone to unstick themselves from an existing thing, because it's just like people I mean, people don't really care. And also, once people get used to using a specific product, like whether they like it or not, they often just don't want to learn how to do something new. Or use well, something. It's the risk. Yeah. And it's risk, right? Like, you know, the guy that mows my yard, he's okay. I like it. I'm used to it. He does a good job. If I switch, But how much better is the, the next guy knows? gonna do it? Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. he does it way worse. Like I I'm happy with what right. I got, you know? Like, why would I take the risk of trying to save ten bucks and then and then I have all these problems? Like it's just not worth the and, risk. And do you care if he mows it faster? Because no. I, I don't care as don't long care. as you mow it. Take it. I don't, you care. don't care if you do it in two minutes or two hours. Yeah. So I then, mean, then it's got to be cheaper. And then you even said, if it's just a few bucks cheaper, it's like, yeah, I got other things to do then hook that up. It's not worth the risk. You know, one thing that, that I want to advise you if you're starting a new business and your, your, your whole model is based on being the cheapest. You're going to have shitty customers and clients too. Cause the people that are there for the cheapest aren't the greatest clients. So well, I'm not a big it, fan. Of, I'm not a big fan of cheaper. And, and there's a huge perception and value, right? Like if, if I go to buy a product, like let's say it's for business, right? For business, if I'm buying something that's 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month, that's not a lot of money. And, and then if I find one that's 20 bucks a month, I'd be like, why is this thing so cheap? Like it must be like a piece of shit. Why would I buy that thing? Yep. Everybody else is $200. Like I'll gladly pay $200. is no big deal. That's like when it cost me to take a couple guys out for lunch for a business meeting. Why would I care? It's 200 bucks. Where, where do you take people out to lunch, dude? 200 bucks? Yeah, well, you know, it, it never taken up. me out to a two hundred dollar lunch. Well, sometimes I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, but but point being, like, there's a perception of value of things, right? Like, if things seem cheap, like they're like, ah, oh, thing, I don't know about this. It seems too cheap. Yeah. So, all right. So, still with the market analysis, like, hey, look, you don't want to mess this up because if you're way off, you're you're going to find yourself in and have a big problem. And when it comes to products too, like, I think a lot of people don't realize this. Like, a lot of shelf space in a lot of stores and a lot of retailers is basically controlled by the people who already have products on it. Like, you know, like food vendors and and distributors actually pay grocery stores to know that they're going to have the end cap and some other stuff. And you know, that's the it's the same way with with a lot of retail products. So if you just think you're going to make a similar product and slide it into some mega retailer or whatever, like you might find some heavy, heavy resistance. So another thing too, and this is often hard to do in the earliest stages is who's your target buyer. So like, you know, whether it's a, whether you're, you, whatever it is that you sell or people, you know, who, who is the target? Cause 
if you if you're like, oh, anybody could use this. Well, then the problem is, is you're going to have to figure out how to market and advertise to anybody, which means like that's like you've got a lot of impressions to make. And yeah, you got to get them. You're not, very, you're on not you. very specific. Yeah. So so I, I you know, that's. Yeah. You know, so, all right. So well, with all this, you got to list your competition that now the longer that list gets, I mean, it's kind of the bigger hill you got to climb. So I, somebody told me the other day that's like most markets are, are controlled. You want to know who, like who controls like 70% of the market share, right? So for example, if you were talking about cell phones, you'd have like Apple and Android combined or like 90% or something. But if you're looking at a, a different industry, we are like, wow, to get to that 70%, you'd have to have a list of like 20 names. It's like, well, there's not anybody who really controls the market then. So you want to think about like who can, you know, how many names does it take to get to like 70%? And if it's a whole lot of names, then you don't have any one dominant player in that industry. But if you got two or three, and most industries there are, you got Pepsi, Coke, whatever, right? Like there, it, it only takes two or three to get to that kind of 70% number. That was an interesting rule of thumb to know. Yeah. And so, well, Jack Welsh, the former CEO of uh, GE was really famous for having sold all of the divisions of GE that were third place or lower yeah. in their industry. So like the kind of the rule of thumb and what they'll teach you at business school is if you're not first or second, then you're struggling. And you know, you, what you were talking about, all right, Matt, name three t- brands of razor blades. Schick, Gillette, Harry's. Well, Harry's is in there now, but Schick and Gillette are a good example because that's the two. And they own 97% or more of the market, which by the way, is known as an ogalopoly. So, but it's very hard to break into those things. Now, Harry's or like Dollar Shave Club or some of those other things came along and tried to Mm -hmm. disrupt that because they're, but they're, but they are purely based on, Hey, we're cheaper. Right. So, you know, you're going to find one or the other. So, all right. So these are some of the things you got to do, like just before you even get into the, the, you know, talk about a new business checklist. Now I'm going to save us a bunch of conversation. And I'm going to say, if you're looking for commentary about like setting up a business entity or thing or like other kind of basic structural things to avoid, I want you to go back to the episode that I published on May 2nd with Melody Ashby. And uh, we talked about setting up a business entity. And then we had another one called shit you shouldn't do when starting a business. That's me and Trisha Meyer. She's an attorney. And we talked about some of the more structural things. So but Matt and I are, are not, uh, we are not attorneys, accountants, uh, or, well, I don't really have any professional licenses to you. I'm just kind of a guy <laughs> talking to a microphone right now, now that I've, I think about it. <laughs> I've played all of them on TV, but yeah, I don't have a yeah. license in any of them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's okay, Matt, because, you know, while setting up a new business and maintaining compliance isn't easy, that's why it's important to get expert help. And along the way, that's exactly what you'll find when you visit the universalregisteredagents.com site. That's a long domain. Just go down to the show notes and click it. Uh, they will help you get all of your business set up and even ha- offer maintenance needs. They can help you set up an LLC, a corporation, or nonprofits, wherever you're located. Once again, I had some other episodes about those. Those are like a whole nother topic that 
or we're not even going to get into today. So they can also help you set up, you know, pretty much anything you need, but getting the right kind of entity is important. And that's what they do at universalregisteredagents.com. They can help you with registered agent services and a wide variety of corporate services as well as meeting the needs of independent directors. Do you know that you get 20% off when you use the code startup? Uh, you just click the link in our show notes and you'll learn more. 20%. It's uh it's uh, 20% of the $200 lunches you've been taking people to is 40 bucks. <laughs> so I'll just take the 40. Just send the 40 I, over. I need to expense those, by the way. <laughs> at which, at, at the company we own together or the podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. or like yeah. somewhere else? Just anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I was meeting okay. podcast guests potentially. They were like highfalutin, you know, and I yeah, had to sure. take them out someplace nice. and yeah, Totally. Kind yeah. of feel like they should be paying us at lunch. <laughs> is that true? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, we, we do let you, we do, we do broadcast your message to people at last year in 2021, 181 countries. Who are you people? Yeah. I've talked to several of them this week. I have, they went to fullscale.io and filled out the get started page. We talked about technology and all kinds of stuff, man. Yeah. So, okay. So, now we, we know we want to sell some stuff. We went back and listened to the other episodes about a business entity. You know, like I said, that's a whole nother topic, but Hey, a great idea and a great product really don't mean shit. If you don't have a plan for sales and marketing. Got to have a go to market strategy or, or otherwise you just got an idea and a product that nobody knows about. Yeah. And you know, another thing too, and like it, we like to share real life stories. So like one of the things at full scale that's been a challenge for us is, okay, so I'm a pretty good salesperson. I mean, I've sold millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of tech services, but at some points we've had a hard time finding other people that were good at that, which limit it can limit your growth and can limit a lot of stuff. So when you talk about sales and marketing plans, I'm of the believer that if you're the CEO and the founder, you, you do need to be the best person at selling it, but you also have to have a plan for getting past that. Because if you're going to, you know, all you can do is all you can do. So, you know, sales and marketing in that plan is something that too many businesses wait too long to figure out. They're like, we're building a product. Okay, that's awesome. But how are you going to sell it? And if you wait until the product's fully built and then you're trying to figure out sales and marketing, honestly, you're going to you're going to be fucked because there's it's just it is so it's so difficult to dial this in in the beginning, like. Unless, okay, so you mentioned earlier you want to start a business that does tutus for for little girls playing soccer. That's a pretty exact market. But then when you start to look at it, you're like, holy shit, there's, they're in every state. They're in every city. They're all over. How are you going to reach them? How are you going to distribute it? Who are you going to sell through? You're going to do it through a distributor. You're going to do online. You can do in stores. You're going to go to soccer practices. Is this hell there? Like, Because here's the thing. Last time I checked, Matt, you can only be in one of those places at a time yourself. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of times, to your point, people build a product and then they figure out how they're going to sell it and who they're going to sell it to, which a lot of times it needs to be the opposite, right? Like, especially with software, you're like, well, am I going to build this for like big enterprise clients? Am I going to build it for small and medium sized businesses? Am I building this for consumers? Am I focusing on an industry where mobile is super important because all their employees are running around in the field all day? Like, uh, the the answers to those questions change dramatically the product features, maybe even how you bill for the the product and and the features. And your path all, to revenue. All that stuff and changes your path dramatically. To revenue. Yeah, yeah. 
The path to revenue is the hardest part. Like if you're going to sell to enterprise buyers or huge companies, your path to getting, putting a dollar in the bank is way rockier. It's way more treacherous. And it's a hell of a lot longer too. The more expensive, whatever you're selling is, the harder it's going to be to make the first sale. Just yep. know that. So, you know, and then another thing too, is if you're coming right out of the gate and you're like, we're $5,000 a month. Uh, you have no clients and no users. You better you better have something that it doesn't have a whole lot of holes in it because it's going to be hard to get people to pay for something that's unproven that's really expensive. Well, and that, and that brings up uh, what I mentioned earlier, right? It's all about risk. Like, why is somebody going to choose you over choosing IBM? Like, nobody gets fired no. for hiring IBM, right? Like, everybody's heard that expression before, and it's true. You know, versus taking the risk for this little from this little startup I've never heard of, and like, okay, you got to go back to the CEO of your company, explain to them why you fired this vendor that's been doing a great job for all these years, and now you want to hire this like random people that have no other clients, and we're going to take a big risk. Like, there's got to be a big ROI difference there. No one gets fired for hiring full scale. Is what I think that. I think that's the same. Now. <laughs> that's probably but, true. You know, but but there's some truth to that. So look back at our business in four years. Now we have over 250 employees, tens of millions of dollars of revenue. And I'll just tell you right now, it is so much easier to sell now than it was 3.5 years ago. Yeah. Because th- right. three and a half years ago, people were like, how many people do you have? How long have you been doing yeah. this? You know, like, who do you, who do you have that I can call that says your service is great? And you know, six, three and a half years ago, there was three clients that were kind of, and we were literally, yeah, we're figuring a lot of stuff out now, but now four years later, very refined, very targeted to the yeah. point where we actually say no to a lot of clients because they're not a good fit for us either. Right. We know exactly like it's about what makes you happy and what makes you sad. Matt point to the smiley face, not the frowny face when you're bringing in new clients or buyers. Well, and to that point, your go-to-market strategy changes a little bit too because when you're first starting out, yep. you're, you'll take almost whatever you can get because it's like, okay, we need to get the first five, yep. 10 clients, their friends and family, their whatever. And then once you get once you get the ball rolling, then then it changes, right? And then and that's um, that's where you talk about like product market fit and, and kind of getting stuck where it's like, hey, it was, it's easy to get the like early adopters and like we got the first 10 clients or 100 clients or whatever. And then we kind of get stuck like the mass market still doesn't like understand what we do. They're still not interested in what we do and all that kind of stuff. You run into different problems. But when you first start out, you just got to take whatever you can get. Well, and some of that's also just seeing what's a good fit. Like it's okay Mm -hmm. to do that in the beginning, but you know, you need to, you need to be aware because you're probably going to find that a specific type of buyer, user, or client is not a good fit. And they, and they, in some cases it, it will cost you money to keep them as a client, meaning like they put a specific strain on you, or maybe you made a deal with them early before you figured out that you weren't charging enough. I mean, there's a whole lot of different stuff that can come up. So yeah, I mean, just figure it out and then stick with it. Cause uh, you know, we were talking about this yesterday, Matt, when it came to the employees, we hire at full scale. Like, so we ought, we've had a waiting list and we have a lot of purchase orders to fill, but we're super specific with who we hire and, and sometimes I talk to people, well, why don't you just relax your hiring standards? Because every time we've tried that in the past, it was a fucking disaster. 
right? And so know know what works for you, know where you provide the best value, know what what is a good fit for you, and then identify who those people are and get real aggressive with finding them and bringing them in. Because if you load up the wagon with what I just described, you're going to have a much happier you're going to have a much happier trip down the Oregon trail, Matt. You're not going to die of dysentery or <laughs> what, what are they, what were those, what else were the other things that would get you on the Oregon trail? I don't, you drown in the river. Maybe. Is that one I of think them? you usually starve. Remember how you'd like try starve. to hunt for deer and you'd like hit the button, you'd see the shotgun pellets and you miss. And the next thing you know, that's it. Game over. I was All at right. my kid's school so, the other day and they, and they made it sound like Oregon trails made a comeback. Like they played at school. God, I hope so. I was just sitting here thinking, I was like, why isn't that on my Nintendo entertainment? Like the classic. <laughs> yep. Dude, I'm the guy that has like the modern gaming station. And then I just play old school shit that I could just <laughs> still play with the original console. Does that mean you're officially why is old? It just punch it? Why is it just punch out now? It used to be Mike Tyson's punch out. I want, I want him back on there. Um, okay. So, uh, how many good ideas and good founders and great businesses are out there just doing nothing because they didn't have a funding plan? Cause I think it's a lot. That's a, a lot. It's hard, you know? And yeah. you know, the guy, I had a guy on, um, just the other day and they built security robots, which is like, you know, looking at today may, may sound like very futuristic, but think about it like security cameras. Like who doesn't have security cameras? Yeah. Now? Like 10 years now, we'll look back like who doesn't have a security robot that runs around the parking lot and makes sure of this, that, and whatever, right? Like he had the a great idea. He had a great idea and had no competition. And he's in Silicon Valley. Nobody had any interest at all in giving him any money for it because it wasn't sexy. It wasn't cool. It wasn't like this, you know, great big, you know, exciting technology idea. So I mean, it was like nearly impossible for him to raise money and it took over a year to raise a million dollars. And it took him probably about two and a half years to build an MVP to even get the first kind of version with the, kink, with the kinks out. And, and it, the point is it takes funding. Like depending on what you're trying to do, it takes money and you got to raise capital. Did they model that robot after me? Um, no, it's a little shorter than you. Probably. I, Not quite as scary as you robot. though. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Because, you know, I scream. It's got more lasers than you do. It's a problem worth solving. So, look, when it comes to when it comes to funding, you got to raise it, borrow it or have earned it and already possess it. Now, you know, what's the right choice? I don't know. Depends on your business. I mean, that's it just really depends on you and your business and what, what kind of risk you want to take. Like I literally started my my the the business that I wrote million dollar bedroom about, I literally funded that with a stack of my friends' credit cards. It all depends on the business. Like if I'm selling yeah. tutus, I can go buy some fabric today probably for fifty bucks and sew some together and I'm to sell selling them. Yeah. I'm selling yeah. them this afternoon, right? Like yeah. But if I'm building security robots, like I might need like a couple million bucks to prototype those things. What about a security robot with a tutu on it? Ooh, I'm gonna give him that yeah. idea. Yeah, cross verticals, man. I'm gonna yeah. sell him the tutus. I'm always thinking, Matt. I'm always thinking yeah. about ways to sell more stuff. But you know, with that, you should always be thinking about ways to sell more stuff, and you should always be thinking about ways to fund your business. And you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. The thing that that is rough is when you get yourself behind a, a lever or something happens and then you have to go out and get money and it's way too expensive. 
And that happens to a lot of people, you know, like you're talking short term kind of things that, you know, carry huge interest rates and they will drag on your growth. So, you know, figure out how to how to do it. Um, you know, we have a lot of episodes about funding companies. So look through the feed because they are there are a lot of them, uh, including episode number two, which was titled Getting Funded Sucks. I feel like we really set the pace for the subsequent 850 <laughs> episodes after that one right it sucks so, people are like what's your podcast about dude and i'm like it's about the reality of entrepreneurship oh so like all the good stuff no we talk about all the shitty stuff and the failures and how getting funded sucks and but the truth is is it's easier to get money when you don't need it than it is absolutely when you do. so figure it out I've okay that I'm going to, I'm going to say two words that when I hear them, I think is the following words go also go through my head are usually wrong. Financial projections. Wrong. Okay, in some cases you can be pretty you, well on some parts of them. You can be pretty accurate, like possible expenses and things like rent and, you know, utilities and whatever. But at a newer business, it's almost impossible to truly predict your future sales. I sat down with a guy the other day. He's got a really successful business. It's taken him four years. I'm not going to use the exact numbers. It took him four years to grow his business to do, let's say, $10 million a year in revenue. And now he thinks he's going to start a new business and do more than $10 million worth of revenue in the first year. And I'm like, how did you learn like over the last four years? How does how that work? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you're not going from 10 to 20. Like, I can see if you're going from 10 to 20. Yeah. You're starting a whole new business. Doing something kind of different, you're not going to go from zero to 10 in a year. Like, it doesn't matter how many times you do this shit, it's hard. And the projections well, this is, are this, always wrong. Well, this is, why, this is why they are always wrong, especially in the beginning. Now, look, the important thing is like uh, without the sales, uh, the downstream effect of the expenses after that, I mean, it's pretty impactful. I mean, so uh, look. Plan for, look, make three, make three iterations of it. Do one where you sell everything in the store. Another one where things are just kind of like, eh, do another one where you don't sell shit yeah. and, uh, and just be ready. Like know what can, could, or might happen in all three scenarios. And in that case, I, financial projections are, are pretty good. Uh, now, another thing too, though, is this is where it's, it's really important for new businesses. If you have a lump sum of money that you're using to start the business, this is going to help you determine your burn rate, which is how fast you're burning through that cash before you're broke. Um, and don't wait till you're broke to fix the problem of being broke. And you can pretty much assume you're going to burn a lot more money than you think. A yeah. lot faster. Did you know that Benjamin Franklin once said a penny saved is a penny earned? Well, Matt DeCourcy later, <laughs> several hundred years later, said saving money is making money. Yes. Do you well, think somebody that was I'm going to be on the hundred dollar bill someday with like a Supreme hat and like gold shoes. Yeah, somebody that I I had on the podcast today, he said something like, "For every dollar of like profit that you get." you have to sell like $6 or whatever, right? So it's like, if you can save a dollar in expenses, it's like mm -hmm. not needing to sell six, right? Like it's Dude, such a profound don't get difference. This. It's such a and profound they don't get difference. It. Yeah. They legitimately don't seem to understand this. Like, you know, there are, there are a whole lot of things that can create efficiency in your business and save money at your business. And just like Matt said, like, you know, like, Hey, a dollar 
a dollar not spent on one thing is still worth a dollar created from selling something else. Now, the upside of the revenue part of that is maybe whoever helped you create that dollar in revenue buys again later and again and again and again. But at the same time, saving money is making money. The other right. hard thing about financial projections is a lot of times it's, I feel like you're like controlling an orchestra, right? It's like, well, I got to hire salespeople and they're going to sell stuff and then I'm going to make money. And then I got to hire these other people to do the fulfillment. And you're, you're always trying to balance and juggle like all your expenses, the people I need to hire and, and all these things kind of have to work together, right? Just like at full scale, it's like I got to hire people and then I can sell out their services but I don't want to hire a bunch of people and I don't sell out their services. Like there's always this balancing act that goes on and it's really different to, to difficult to forecast that stuff. And yep. it, it, it's like, you're constantly rejuggling it on a monthly basis. And that's why we always say it's like, it doesn't matter what you forecast, like it's totally wrong. Yep. Now there are, you know, one of the things that for, since we're talking about new business stuff, for those that lack experience, um, you're going to come up, you're going to find that there's a whole lot of expenses that you're going to have that you didn't even think about that you don't know about because you don't know what you're doing because you haven't done it yet. Can I give you an example, Matt? That lunch that I need to, uh, expect? yeah, you could have, you could have <laughs> dickhead employees like Watson that go to seven martini lunches. <laughs> Where yes. he should be getting his lunch paid for, but instead, because he had seven martinis, he picked up the tab and then comes and turns the receipt in. Yeah. By the way, I've got a bunch of receipts that I'm rejecting your expenses, by the way. I'll, it's actually, it's not, it, it wouldn't even fit in a folder. It's like a bag. So I'm going to bring those by later. Um, no problem. Now, but there's a couple of things. So, you know, all right. So I remember one of the first things, the first time I had an employee, um, I learned that you also have to pay taxes on their income. So, so we did those financial projections and we knew our payroll was going to be $10,000 a month, but because we don't know what we're doing yet, we didn't realize that we would have another $800 a month in taxes because 8% is about what a lot of states might end up charging you. So uh, that can throw your number off by a whole lot. Matt, what's 800 times 12? Well, hold on, hold on. What about their health insurance? Like that itself could be like oh, another thousand bucks a month, man. It's almost like you just put an infinity symbol in, yeah. the, in that column. The, the yeah, fully so, loaded number is more like 30% or something. It depends on your... I, I go with 20 employees. actually 20 has yeah. been so what so there's a thing if you do projections an easy way to kind of there's two things I do so one burden rate so that's your taxes and some of your yeah. basic benefits and whatever so I always put 20 percent on and then Matt my the ever so famous Matt DeCourcy oh shit line I literally <laughs> put <laughs> you've seen it it's a thing. I put it on there and it's a line item in the projections that just says, oh shit. And people look at that and they're like, oh, what is this? I'm like, it's the oh shit line. And they're like, what's the oh shit line? And it's the, oh shit. I didn't think about that. Um, so that can, but that's a buffer. So look, you're way better in your planning process to over project your expenses than you are to under project them. Cause if you over project them, so you put the Oh shit line in and look, if you're a new business, like say it's 5% of your revenue or something, cause that's the buffer. And you know, another thing too, with new businesses is there's just a stupid list, stupidly long list of things you need to buy one time or sign up for one time. 
That oh Matt, shit do you, own a la- do you own do you own a laser printer for our other location? Do you have that in stock? No. Okay, that's three hundred and fifty dollars. What about all the ink, the paper, the pens? Do you have another desk? How about a chair? You know, it just kind of goes on and on and on. And next thing you know, it's like death by a thousand tiny cuts. The the one that is most likely to wreck you is accounts receivable. I mean, how many times in the history of full scale do we have somebody that owes us like fifty grand, right? And they're like slow yeah. pay. Yep. Or no pay. Yeah. I mean, we actually, that's so, it. well, let's talk, let's talk about that first. I'll use that as an example. So as we started as a service provider company, we were providing a month's worth of services and we'd send an invoice and then we'd collect the money for 15 to 30 days later. And that worked for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, when we started stacking up clients, we realized, oh, wow, um, this is not going to work. This is not going to be sustainable. Cause right now, like we, do almost a million dollars a month in receipts, which meant if I was two months late in collecting all those, well, a couple things occur. One, I'd have to finance $2 million worth of receipts or payables. And then another thing too, is you put yourself in a position of liability because if you're waiting that long to get paid on services already rendered, people with struggling businesses or maybe lack of moral caliber in some cases uh, you're not going to even know that they're not in a healthy financial position until they already owe you a, sh- a crap ton of money. Kind of like all those expense checks you turned in. <laughs> yeah, managing accounts receivable is always a tricky thing, and it depends on the type of customers and industry you're dealing with and all that kind of stuff. So, well, I, I'm nearing the end of my checklist. So, you know, once again, a big thank you to today's sponsor, Universal Registered Agents. You can set up your new business and maintain all aspects of your business compliance. Their goal is to make your job easier so you can focus on what you do best, running your business. Connect with them by visiting the link in our show notes. Don't forget to use the code STARTUPS. You get 20% off. 20. You save money. And then you... Make money. Correct. It's the same. He's learning. It's He's the learning. Same. Link in the show notes. Okay, so you know what? Let's let's try something different, Matt. What's something dumb you did or didn't know about in setting up a business along the way that you look back at and you're like, wow, I probably could have known that. Hmm. Anything stand out? I mean, I I as a software, you know, my background is a software engineer, right? So I'm the product guy. And I'm the guy that always struggles with like, I'm going to build the product and then they will come. Like people will magically come buy this thing where really you've, you've got to know what your niche is and who you're going after and how you're going to price it and package it and build them. And, you know, as enterprise account, non-enterprise account, like what features matter to them? Like there's so many things like that, um, that you got to get out and talk to customers and figure out who you're selling to. So, you know, exactly you know, maybe 80% of the product's the same, but you got to figure out that last 20% that it's got to be molded to whoever your niche is. And I I've feel like that's a huge... Of over, uh, guilty of overbuilding stuff. And then you, the stuff yeah. you overbuilt, you, you, you put it out in market and then you realize no one even cared about it anyway. And you're like, yeah. wow, okay. I built all this shit shitty. that nobody cares about. And I totally missed these three really critical things. You know, for me, I think one of the things is, is in the past is not getting the right kind of help early enough at the business. Um, 
which, you know, cause it, the, a couple things can occur. If you're bootstrapped, you're going to want to try to do things yourself. And then you start telling yourself, well, I can just do it faster if I do it myself. And then you end up doing all those things and not you end up working at the business, not on the business. And that's not great. And then a lot of times there's just things that like little accounting practices and stuff like that. Now, if the business grows quickly, it's easy to kind of procrastinate getting up to speed on some of that stuff. You're like, oh, we'll catch up on it. We'll catch up on it. Next thing you know, it's like 18 months later and you're like, shit, we have to catch up on this. And it doesn't always happen quickly. And the problem is, is when you want to borrow money or get an investor or do anything and they want to look at that kind of stuff and you're like, yeah, I'm like over a year behind. Yeah, no one's giving you money. So, yeah, yeah. I have one more. Is this a good check? Was this a good checklist? You got another, you got another box? I, I think this is a great checklist. There's one more thing we didn't talk about earlier about, you know, when you're estimating your uh, potential market share that (coughs) every single person does. They're like, if I could get 1% of the market, I will be a billionaire. Please don't do that. You have to go there, huh, Matt? You have to go there. Please don't do that. You're at the end of the show and you got to bring that one up because yeah. you know that you just opened the can of worms. Okay. So I, I get that a lot too, but it's never 1%. There was a, if I can just get 15% of market share, I'm like, dude, that's hard in like any industry. Like it really is. And you know, if like that's your, I think you should be focused on trying to put $1 in the, in the cash register. That should be your first goal. I just think it's funny that's always the go-to in every financial plan, every business plan. We're going to get 1% of this, the market. And at this point, we have 48% of the market share. I mean, is that possible? It is possible. Anyway, so hopefully this is a good list. Hopefully this gives you some good advice. Now, by the way, if you want more structural details and more of a checklist related to setting up entities, go back to the May 2nd episode titled Setting Up a Business Entity. And then there's the one that came out on 5.9, Shit You Shouldn't Do When You Start a Business, which we covered a couple of those things here, but that was a little more along the lines of, you know, things that like protecting your intellectual property, not giving away too much equity for no reason. Like anyway, we put it, put together a nice little three pack of stuff that will help you start a business. So Matt, at, at the beginning of the show, I was ready to start a new one and now I'm not going to, cause it seems like a lot of work. <sighs> you know, I thought um, universal registered agents was going to be the easy button for all of it. Sounds like they're the easy button but for getting they're started. They're the easy button for setting it up legally. <laughs> yeah, but they don't. I talked to him about that a little bit. I was started. like, so do you guys do anything like where you come and do all the hard work and I get all the profit? And they, I think they're working on that. So just click just the link in the money. show notes and yeah, contact them and see what's up. And I think you get 20% <laughs> off of that too when you use the code word startups. See you, Matt. See ya. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.